I want us to look at this passage this morning and break it down in Luke chapter 2 in a few different ways. I want us to focus today on who Jesus brings joy to, to whom Jesus brings joy. And I just want us to be reminded of these things for a couple of reasons. One, we may see ourselves in one of these categories of people that we're going to talk about. And that may strongly encourage us this morning. And I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be joyful in Jesus by being encouraged through these truths. But the second reason is you may see people around you in this world, in the marketplace. That's why I love these depictions of the marketplace. You'll see one over here and then another over here. The marketplace, where you live, this is where you live, this is where you do life every day. You do things like this every day. We live in the marketplace. And we may know people in the marketplace of life, outside of the walls of where our faith community meets, who need Jesus, who might fit one of these categories too. And while you're encouraged and joyful in your own faith in Jesus this morning, I want you to be moved to think about others who need this story and how you can tell them this story so that they can experience the life change that you have experienced. My second message on the joy of Christmas is going to focus more on that theme as a follow-up to this one. But to prepare your hearts for that, why don't you think along those lines with me today? So who did Jesus bring this joy to? The first group of people that we want to look at, the first category, is that he probably brought it to those who were despised. Now, I know, as you know most likely, that there is some debate here. And uh, the debate centers around whether or not shepherds were highly regarded in society. Um, There's plenty of evidence that suggests that that most likely they were not. Uh, In fact, some of them could have been uh, people, maybe hired hands, who knows, from various walks of life, and certainly could represent people that others did not highly regard. As you get further into history, uh, probably third, fourth, maybe even fifth centuries, and you see some of the secular writings, that theme is strongly developed throughout those historical writings. And so uh, we have that there, and we just want to point out that this is the group of people that uh, Jesus, of course, the angel came to, to speak of Jesus. You'll, you'll notice that beginning at the very beginning of our text in verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock. And the angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So here you have the shepherds, and the angel, an angel rather, of the Lord comes and speaks to them about Jesus. Just really people who, by many in society, were possibly despised. Now, we think today that uh, are there groups of people like that around us? Are there categories of people that you go, you know, they don't get a lot of love from our society and culture because of who they are. And the point today is that Jesus brought joy to those people. 
because it really doesn't matter what society and culture thinks of a people group, no matter what part of the world we may be talking about, Jesus came to bring joy to them. And all of them who believe, regardless of how they are regarded in society and culture, if they believe, they will be saved from their sins. Now, in this particular culture, I just want to pull some examples from Jesus' life and ministry to show that he didn't just have an angel come and talk to a group of people who probably were despised by culture and society, but he lived this way. It wasn't just those people, but he lived this way among all peoples who were despised by culture or overlooked by culture, maybe even mistreated by culture. And I want to just pull from the life and ministry of Jesus to illustrate that point. So I'm going to share with you a few examples, and you could write these down in your white space there on your outline as they resonate with you. But the first group of people that I want to share with you that Jesus touched literally and ministered to profoundly were, were women in his culture. He transcended all cultural norms. In fact, he was opposite of those cultural norms who, who really in some cases degraded and demeaned women and, and, and totally reduced them sometimes and more than sometimes, a lot of times, to just being seen as property. Jesus went into that culture and he ministered to women in a very close way, in a pure way, but a very close way. And he associated with them in a way that very few men were doing so at his time. In first century Palestine, a woman's social sphere was only as large as her family. Jewish writings made it clear that it is the way of a woman to stay at home and it is the way of a man to go out into the marketplace. So they were excluded. It was not expected that they would even be out in public much. They were to only be with their families. And even when they were out in public, they were not regarded well or interacted with uh, well, but Jesus does that. He's there at the well, right? The woman at the well who had all kinds of baggage in her life. And what does he do? He loves her. He shares with her gospel truth. He, he talks to her about her life and her sin, and he wants to relate to her. How about the lady who had the issue of blood, right? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But here is a lady. She literally touched him, touched his garment, he didn't chide her or scold her or criticize her or angrily respond to her. She was healed. And he related well to her. Time and again, Jesus relates to women well. He transcends the cultural norms of the day. Not only that, but he also does this for the poor, doesn't he? We see Jesus relating to the poor. In fact, there are statements in Scripture that talk about this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Said of Jesus, of course, in Luke chapter 4. And then in Jesus' teaching, what does he say? But when you give a banquet, invite the poor. And he goes on to include a bunch of other people who were disenfranchised at the time that people really didn't care about. Not just the poor, but he goes on. The crippled, the lame, the blind and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection 
of the righteous. That's Luke 14, verses 13 and 14. That was a theme of Jesus' message. It characterized his own ministry, and he came to bring joy to them. So I want you to think about those people who are often forgot about in this category. Do you know any? Do you know any? Have you engaged them, reached out to them? You know, we look at, at this particular description in, in uh, Luke 14, in that category, and we try to bring that into the 21st century. Most of these people, right, who would fit in a category like this, don't even have the means or the wherewithal to come here, do they? Just, just think about that with me for a moment. And yet, what are we doing? to reach into their lives and engage them outside of the four walls of this worship center. There are a lot of people out there who need Jesus, who even if they wanted to, could not come to be with us. So we have to think about this joy and taking this message. I can't preach Christmas morning's message to you now, although I want to and I'm being tempted. I have to leave that alone. But that is exactly how I want us to think as a faith community. That going into the community where these people are, taking them the gospel may be the only way that they are going to hear it. And so we need to consider that. Jesus related well to those who were in this category. There's a third category we'll call this category the unclean. And of course, much of the Old Testament was concerned with purity. We understand that and these laws that were laid down. One could become unclean through exposure to potentially contagious diseases or bodily fluids that carry disease or from eating unclean foods. Once someone was unclean, they had to avoid sacred spaces and duties until they could be purified. To be unclean was to be socially ostracized. In Mark 1, Jesus is approached by a leper. We remember that story who wants to be healed of his affliction. The shock in this passage comes in Jesus' response to this man's request for healing. And Jesus doesn't just heal the man, he touches him. Holy people avoided lepers entirely lest they become unclean themselves. And Jesus' response to this man, who probably hadn't known physical touch in a long time, displayed a humanizing kindness. We see the same kind of gentleness in the way Jesus responds to the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. This bleeding would have made her unclean, yet she takes it upon herself to touch him. His response isn't to berate her for making him unclean, but to compliment her faith. What an amazing example and testimony that is from the life and ministry of Jesus, the unclean. Those who have something, a condition or wrong with them that others want nothing to do with. Yet Jesus transcends and goes in there and ministers to those people. How about those who are oppressors? Did you ever think about that climate and culture? Uh, as Jesus was living and ministering, there were oppressors everywhere, especially pitted against Christians. But yet, when a certain centurion, who was a representative of oppression, right, sends some Jewish elders to request that Jesus come to heal his dying servant. Jesus doesn't show contempt of any kind, does he? 
While Jesus is on his way, the centurion dispatches friends to tell Jesus that he's not worthy to have the teacher in his home. But if Jesus would just simply say the word, he knows that his servant would be healed. And then Jesus looks around and makes the most provocative observation when he says these words, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Can you imagine how cutting those words would have been to his original audience? Here is a representative of the oppression, the Romans, and Jesus makes that statement and caps it off by saying, even in Israel? Wow, profound lessons being taught as Jesus engages and ministers to those who were seen as and experienced as oppressors. How do we relate to those kinds of people today? Often I think we feel as though we're in a war with them. We have to fight them. We have to win every debate and argument against them. And we forget that in that arena of ideas as we share them, that the people who are also sharing their contrary ideas are people who have an eternal soul who need to be saved from the penalty of their sins. We can't ever lose sight of that as we interact in our culture because Christmas joy is for them too. The final category, and there could be many more, I suppose, that we would craft to illustrate the point. But what about racial tensions and enemies? Did Jesus have anything to do or say about that? Well, he did. In fact, we know that the well-documented hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews dated back for centuries. That's why the authors of the Gospels and Acts were so enamored with documenting Jesus' discussions about this group and their exposure to the Gospel itself. When Jesus told a teacher of the law that loving his neighbor as himself was an important part of fulfilling the law, he asked Jesus who was his neighbor. And Christ's response, you remember how he responds here? He gave a parable, right, that had a Samaritan as a hero. That's how he responded. Racial tensions, racial enemies. You know, there's a lot being said right now about this. There has been a lot said about this in the past, but it continues to heat up in the political world. You, you can't watch you just can't watch news without seeing uh, something that touches this category. How do we view those people? How do we view them? How do we relate to them? What are we doing to make them feel welcome so that they can hear about Jesus and know him like we do? We're going to talk a lot more about that one in message two because we have some wonderful opportunities, as you're already aware but what do we do with this? What do we do with these categories of people that may be somewhat symbolic, right, of what's going on today? They're, they're not uh, totally and completely equally transferable into our culture, but certainly by symbolism, we could make application, couldn't we? Jesus came so that they could all have joy. And he didn't just have an angel tell shepherds, although that was profound. He shows us this through his life and ministry as an example. What a powerful thing for us to think on today. Despised people. Well, there's a second category that we'll look at today, and we see some fear in our passage too, don't we? Jesus relates to these through the angel. 
who was talking about this good news of great joy to people who were just terrified. That's what the scripture says in verse number nine. And so maybe you're anxious today. I don't know. Maybe you have anxiety. Obviously, you haven't seen a, an angel come and have an experience like this uh, as, as the shepherds did that, that made you fearful. But maybe there are other things in life that are happening, events that have terrified you or made you full of anxiety. Let's embrace Christmas joy today that takes us beyond fear to faith and encourages and strengthens our hearts so that we can have confidence. You know, I think of those words that Paul gave to Timothy as he was mentoring Timothy and bringing him along, uh, trying to just totally develop him as a leader, a church leader, as he would pastor the church at Ephesus. And, and Paul's talking to him. He says, Timothy, listen to me. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, sound mind. Embrace that. And how do we have all of that? We have all of that through Jesus. We have victory over fears and faith over fear through Jesus and because of the gospel and the joy that Christmas represents. I love Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Often things about the future can cause us anxiety as we, as we try to, to think about perhaps what is happening, what will happen. We can even get carried away with worrying or having anxiety about our material possessions and provisions. Jesus, in addressing that in Matthew chapter 6, utters those words that should characterize what we should be focusing on when he says this. You remember these words? You know, don't worry about all these things that the Gentiles worry about, that unbelievers worry about. Instead, what does he say in verse 33? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, what are these things? All of those material things, all of those provisions that we need for everyday life, all of our needs, those things will be added to you. But first, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek after the story of the nativity, that Jesus is born, and the representation that that is of the gospel. Seek after that. Seek after going and making disciples of all the ethnicities of the world. Seek after that. Seek after contributing to and, and making your faith community strong so that it can continue the mission of making disciples. Seek after that. Don't, don't worry about these other things. Seek after that. And the, as you do it, seek after the righteousness of God. Don't just do it, but do it in the right way. And all these things will be added to you. All of that security, confidence, peace, and joy comes to us through the message that we celebrate at this time of the year. Jesus reminds us, doesn't he, in this Matthew passage, that God cares for what? The birds of the air, the sparrows. He says, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Don't be afraid. God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. But yet, 
These were terrified, and Jesus comes to them and ministers to them. The angel talks of the coming of Jesus to them, and, and he says to them, look, don't be afraid. There's, there's great news of great joy. The same message rings true today. What do we do with fearful people? Didn't we just really come out of a, it's, we just came out of a season, but it, it feels like we keep going back into that season, doesn't it? You saw signs, I was, I was driving through my subdivision the other day, and sometimes I just do that to kind of look around. Maybe I'm being nosy. Anybody else do that? Just kind of drive, just no reason, just kind of look at what's going on. I don't let my wife do that very often because then she brings ideas home. So uh, anyway, that's not true. I just thought it'd be funny. But anyway, just driving around, I, I saw that sign still up in someone's yard, faith over fear, right? And we all know what that's attached to. And yet we, we were in the, the heat of that moment as we live through that season as a faith community and as a country. And it seems like we keep just getting pulled back into that. And man, there were some pretty harsh lines drawn based on that ideology, weren't there? Did we do well relating to people that we thought were fearful, right? And maybe they weren't fearful. Maybe they were being misjudged. I, I'm not declaring a side. I'm simply causing you to think about it. There are people who lack faith inside of the household of God, okay? So what? Are we going to help them? Are we going to criticize them and ostracize them and fight them? We have a choice, don't we? What about people who aren't in the household of God, who also live their life maybe primarily motivated by fear? How do we relate to them? Do we do and say things and have reactions and responses that push them further away from the message of the gospel or that invite them in? And I think we all know what we should be doing there. Jesus shows us not just here not just here, but as the angel gives the message for him, he related to a group of men that he was trying to teach who had all kinds of problems. And one of those problems was fear, right? What happened to Peter? First of all, Peter did something that I'll never do. In fact, there are two things I'll never do. Number one, I'm never jumping out of a perfectly good airplane, okay? Not doing it. Number two, I'm not jumping out of a perfectly good boat either. But Peter decided to do that, didn't he? And so he gets out of the boat and he gets on the water and he wants to walk toward Jesus. And fear overcame his focus on Jesus and he began to what? Sink. How did Jesus relate to that and come into that situation? Right? He didn't preach Peter a sermon. He, he did say to him, look, you doubted. Wherefore didst thou doubt? But he reached down, the scripture says, and and he rescued Peter from, from the impending drowning experience that no doubt he would have had. And Jesus rescues him in love and tenderness. And he takes care of Peter and he ministers to Peter. He doesn't berate him, although he does challenge his faith. And Peter goes on and continues to follow Jesus and become the apostle that we're all aware of as we read his writings. That's how Jesus does this. And Christmas reminds us that there is a cure for our fear in Jesus, and we have to stay focused on that as we relate to others who may also be fearful. Be careful. Be careful. Let's do it in a Christ-like way. Number three, we'll just say he comes for every people, every people group, right? It was just to everyone. Look at verse 10 here. 
angel says, don't be afraid. You're terrified, but don't. Let's overcome your fear. For look, I proclaim to you what? Good news of great joy. That will be for the Jews, right? No. No. That will be for all the people. It was going to be for everyone. This great joy, this great joy was going to come for everyone as, as proclaimed strongly in John 3.16. Can we say that together this morning? We all know this verse. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world. This message is for everyone. Is there anyone that you see as being outside of this joy, outside of this message that, that you struggle with engaging with the message of eternal life? Don't forget, it is truly for everyone. How about Galatians 3 and verse 28? There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Everyone can be one as they believe, and the message is for everyone. The final group that I want to talk to you about today, and then we'll close our time, is those who are seemingly insignificant. And I say that because <laughs> there is no such category in God's eyes. But in human eyes, there certainly is. We come here to, to verse 11. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This city is spoken of in Micah 5 too, isn't it? But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Seemingly insignificant place. Maybe these people were seen as insignificant too because of the smallness and lack of grandeur of their culture and of their place where they were. But that's where Jesus came from. The message truly is that God sees no one as insignificant. No one is insignificant. They are all to be recipients of the gospel, not because they're worthy, but because Jesus died for them. It's interesting to see what has happened to Bethlehem since this time. Today, the little town of Bethlehem lies in the limestone hill country of the Holy Land, about six miles south of Jerusalem. The Church of the Nativity, the oldest Christian church in daily use, marks the traditional spot of Jesus' birth and is considered one of the holiest cities in Christendom, by, by many, of course. The birthplace of Jesus attracts some two million visitors each year. Maybe some of you have been there. Crowds of tourists are especially large at Christmas. Lines are long. Hotels and other lodgings are sold out. Locals joke that there would still be no room at the inn for Joseph and Mary if they showed up in Bethlehem today. Although small, Bethlehem has a rich history in the Bible. It is called the city of David because it was the hometown of that mighty monarch of Israel. Bethlehem is where Jacob buried his beloved wife, Rachel, when she died in childbirth. And Bethlehem is where Ruth gleaned in the fields of Boaz. It was in Bethlehem that the prophet Samuel anointed David to be king of Israel. Seemingly insignificant, maybe somewhat 
marginalized, but yet God said great joy is for those people, even from this place, who many may disregard. Joy. So Jesus comes, as the angel says, to be a cure for our fear with good news of great joy that will be for all people. Take joy in that. Maybe you identified with one of the categories today. Or maybe you know someone who is in one of those categories. Let's be joyful, but let's also take joy to them. And I will talk to you more about that in message two.